Hey there, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's Physics Central podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella. Carbon dioxide's effect on climate change has come to dominate the conversation about the future of energy. As the world consumes more fuel, experts have been casting about for potential new sources that don't release greenhouse gases. Solar and wind energy have been popular, but people have also been giving nuclear power a second look as well. Since 2007, 16 sites across the United States have applied for permission from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to build new reactors. Of course, nuclear power is not without its problems. Accidents are rare, but can have huge consequences, like at the Fukushima Daiichi plant in Japan. Though they don't emit CO2, the waste they do produce is radioactive and extremely hazardous to handle. Plants are also expensive to build, difficult to maintain, making the final cost of electricity no cheaper than coal. Scientists and business leaders have been looking for ways to harness the benefits of nuclear energy without all the downsides. A small but vocal community of researchers have been advocating more investment into a dramatically different kind of nuclear reactor, a thorium molten salt reactor. They were the focus of experiments back in the 50s and 60s, but the government pulled the plug on the work in the early 70s, and research all but stopped, at least until recent concerns about climate change sparked a renewed interest. As I'm recording this, there's a scientific conference going on right now at CERN devoted to all kinds of thorium reactors, including molten salt ones. So there's a lot going on. Some of it is sort of hidden from, the, from view because it's uh, commercially driven. Uh, there are almost half a dozen startup ventures that are looking at how to design and build such, uh, such reactors because it's an attractive investment if you can generate power cheaply. This is Robert Hargraves, who wrote the book Thorium, Energy Cheaper Than Coal. He's a writer and a big promoter of thorium reactor research. He's advocated for their implementation to everyone from the American Nuclear Society to Google. If we had energy that's cheaper than coal uh, from a safe nuclear power plant that could be mass-produced on a factory assembly line and exported, uh, we could make a real dent into the effect of uh, coal plant emissions. It's a great pitch, but not all scientists are entirely sold on the idea. The costs of this reactor, while proponents claim would be low, are unknown. Uh, the operational characteristics of the reactor in practice also have not been proven. This is Arjan Makajani, president of the Institute for Energy and Environmental Research. He thinks that the downsides of thorium molten salt reactors outweigh their benefits. He and Hargraves agree on a lot of the basic facts about these reactors, but they disagree on how serious the risks associated with them are and whether they're ultimately going to be worth it. To really understand what these benefits and downsides are, it's important to first know how traditional uranium reactors generate heat and how that heat gets turned into electricity. It's a design that's been basically unchanged since the 1950s. The atoms of uranium and plutonium are among the heaviest. Heavy because the nucleus of each atom contains large numbers of the fundamental particles called protons and neutrons. When a free neutron hits this nucleus, it splits into two parts releasing more neutrons, which may go on to split other nuclei. The split nucleus weighs less than the whole one, and this difference in weight is released in the form of energy, nuclear energy. To build up a nuclear energy release, the fissionable material must be of a certain size, shape, or density. Then one of the neutrons escaping from a split atomic nucleus will, in turn, split another, and a chain reaction is set up. This condition is called critical. As uranium atoms in the nuclear reactor disintegrate, tremendous amounts of heat are generated. When the heat is transferred to a liquid, and the liquid is circulated from the reactor to a boiler room, 
It can produce steam. Steam drives a generator to produce electricity. That's how nearly all nuclear reactors in the world work. In these light water reactors, the uranium comes in these small pellets about the size of a pen cap and heat up when enough are placed near each other. Molten salt designs have some similarities, but also some important differences. The biggest one is instead of using water to transfer heat, they use a liquid salt. And this salt is nothing like the salt in your kitchen. It's really just a solid material that melts at around 700 degrees C. In a thorium molten salt reactor, thorium-232 is actually the source of the real fuel for the reactor, uranium-233. The thorium is suspended in this liquid salt and bombarded with neutrons. It absorbs one, which sets off a reaction that turns it into uranium-233. The liquid salt is circulated around, and the uranium is separated and diverted to the core. Once it's there, it's bombarded with more neutrons, fissions, and releases nuclear heat. And this heat is then transferred to another circuit of molten salt, which then boils water, creating steam and electricity. Having the nuclear fuel suspended in the molten salt is an important safety feature of the design. The safety advantage is that if there's some sort of accident or rupture or something or other that happens within the plant, that liquid would spill out, hopefully into uh, rooms that are designed to accept it, but it's, it's, it will eventually solidify. It won't vaporize. It won't escape out into the environment. So it's intrinsically safer than a reactor that has pressurized radioactive materials that conceivably could escape into the environment. Light water reactors keep water under extreme pressure, so it can be heated up to 300 degrees C without boiling. The hotter it is, the easier it is to transfer heat. However, if there's a puncture, that water would instantly vaporize and escape, carrying radioactive contamination with it. The great scourge of nuclear power, though, are core meltdowns, when a runaway reactor overheats and literally liquefies its fuel and all of its components. And they can be negated with a molten salt reactor. You can't really have a meltdown when your fuel is already a liquid. That fluid, that molten salt, in some sort of an emergency, would, would flow to a special holding tank underneath it that has a uh, geometric configuration that means it can't be critical. It sounds compelling, though all new reactors are being designed so that they'll also shut down automatically if there's a total loss of power. The older Fukushima plant didn't have that. Now, there are downsides. And, of course, one of the biggest is, what do you do with the nuclear waste? You don't get rid of the waste problem. The idea that some reactor exists that's going to convert um, a waste problem into a manageable one where you simply have to store it for a few hundred years and it will go away... This is not correct. Uh, I know fans of different type of reactors always propose this. Fans of reprocessing and sodium-cooled reactors also have proposed it, but it's not correct. Thorium reactors also will have some very, very long-lived radioactive materials, um, like current reactors, iodine-129, cesium-135, with half-lives of millions of years. Liquid salts, the reactor's biggest safety feature, can actually also be one of its biggest liabilities. Most designs call for salts that use fluoride as a base. You can't just take fluoride material and dump it in a repository. You actually have to process it and remove the fluorides and convert it into an oxide-stable form. So now you have to process this waste and put it in a form that can be disposed of in a repository. It could not have been accepted as waste, for instance, in Yucca Mountain had it been certified. You, 
So people have thought, you know, we'll entomb it right there. But then you're converting every reactor site into a nuclear waste repository. Not a very good idea. Uh, because as I said, they have extremely long-lived materials in them. I mentioned earlier that scientists experimented with molten salt reactors back in the 50s and 60s. And what happened to its waste is illustrative. To this day, we're still having to regularly reprocess it, and that gets expensive. Now, we have had a pilot reactor like this at Oak Ridge, an 8-megawatt thermal reactor that was operated for a few years. It operated quite well. It never operated on thorium, though, so we should keep that in mind. So that reactor was shut down in 70 or 71, and, and the fuel was drained. Now, more than 40 years after that, that waste is still sitting at Oak Ridge. The reactor itself cost, I think, less than $10 million in 1960s dollars, so today's dollars maybe $60 million. The decommissioning costs for this reactor are estimated in the many hundreds of millions of dollars. Some of this extreme radiation, though, is actually one way to prevent nefarious actors from turning nuclear fuel into nuclear weapons. There's an additional radiation hazard, and that is that the process generates not only uranium-233, which is used to uh, be the fissile material that generates the power, but it also generates uranium-232. And it has a decay chain that includes a very high-energy gamma ray that is both a, a bright signature that would alert anyone to the presence of that material, uh, even from a satellite, for example, and the other thing is that it's, it's so hazardous to the people who would work nearby that it's not a good choice for, for military weapons because they have to be handled by stored by people and put in airplanes and so on. So the uh, thorium-fueled reactor has all the uh, sort of proliferation safety features of light water reactors, plus it has the feature that it has this uh, high-energy gamma radiation that makes it even less practical for, for a weapon. However, it's not perfect. Actually, if you look at the details of how this system works, if somebody wanted to use it to make a bomb, it would be um, much less difficult to do so than with the current system. Because of the characteristics of how uranium-233 is made in the reactor, so thorium absorbs a neutron. It becomes thorium-233, which decays into protactinium-233, which decays into uranium-233. So it's a, it's a multi-step process. Now, protactinium has a half-life of tw about 27 days. So in principle, since you've got the separation plant right there, you could chemically recover pure protactinium-233 and put it in a separate chamber, and then you would have pure uranium-233 that you could use to make bombs. You know, U-233 is a fissile material. Uh, you could, you could uh, conceivably uh, try to make a weapon with it, but again, handling a weapon is, would be so difficult because of all the gamma radiation from 232 that it would be uh, impractical. If some nation wanted to develop a weapon, they'd probably use the existing technology that, that's there. They wouldn't try to do something that many of us think is much more difficult uh, to do, and that is to somehow 
intercept the 233 coming uh, through a true fluid molten salt reactor. So the proposed molten salt reactors seem to have some potential benefits as well as drawbacks over existing nuclear reactor designs. But right now the technology is so embryonic that building a working power plant is probably decades away at best. The adoption challenge is uh, regulation. Uh, the NRC in the U.S. is in no way set up to license or understand even uh, what has to happen in a molten salt reactor. So there's just no way to get a head start there. So I always say we don't have a shortage of low CO2 power sources. We've got solar, we've got wind, we have nuclear, and so on and so on. Okay. We have a shortage of time and money. So I would say the best shot at using nuclear to reduce CO2 is the existing reactors which are licensed and, and proven. They have vulnerabilities, and that's why I'm not a fan of them. They take too long to build, and they're too costly, but they're here. A thorium reactor would take 10 years to design and build. Uh, it would take 10 years for the NRC, give or take, to gear up to review the designs and certify a demonstration reactor. So 10 plus 10, 20, then you would build it. And then you would operate it for 10 to make sure that you have a reactor that will work. You could be setting up, and if, if everything works out in the best of worlds, you could be setting up a kind of manufacturing base. But now you're in 2040 before you start building these things. For climate, game over. A lot of the theoretical groundwork has been laid and schematics for power plants have been drawn up, but the devil is always in the engineering details. You know, physically building a safe working reactor is a lot more complex than designing one. Countries like China and India are studying and building prototype reactors, but unless there's a major change in U.S. policy, we're almost certainly not going to be a major center for molten salt reactor research. That's all for this week's Physics Central podcast. You can find more of our podcasts, our physics buzz blog, resources, and so much more at www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening. 